This is Cody Smith, and you're listening to the Create Yourself Podcast. What is going on, guys? Welcome to the show today. I am so pumped for you guys to be listening today. Man, we are jumping into all things program design related. Sometimes we always field in questions and, and, and people just think that it's just reps and sets and putting all these things into workouts and then magically we get a great workout. But the thing to remember is that there are principles behind designing an ideal program and these are principles that I use for my clients when I build out their training programs and principles that I use in growing my coaches at my gym and the programs that we produce for our group fitness classes. So I'm so excited for you guys to listen. This is part one of quite possibly, I mean, it's probably going to be, I don't know, maybe three, four, five sets, who knows. Um, the, the big thing is, is that, man, people need to know these principles. They need to know what goes into making an ideal program. Now, do me a favor before we jump into the show today. I want you to go ahead and log into iTunes. Make sure to give us a five-star rating and review. This is how we grow this podcast. This is how we grow and get more amazing guests on here. And just, man, I'm just trying to grow my reach and trying to get this information out to people um, and just empower people, empower people to be better variations of themselves. Now, one more thing I want you to do before we jump into it today. Go ahead and take a screenshot on your phone, post it to your Instagram story, and go ahead and tag me in it. I am at the CF7C coach. Go ahead and post that screenshot. Let me know that you're getting something from this. I always love connecting and I always love to know who's listening to this show. Now, without any further ado, we're going to go ahead and jump into the show. This is part one on principles of program design. Talk to you next week. All right, and welcome back to the show, you guys. This is going to be part one of a multi-part series based around principles of program design. So I really want to give an in-depth look over the next couple weeks into what are some underlying pieces that go into that come into play when it comes to doing programming, right? Because there's it's not just slapping exercises on the paper or putting things together in a program. There's all there's a, a whole bunch of different things that need to be accounted for before we can ever make a program for somebody or before we can ever approach a specific workout uh, a certain way, right? So these these principles are 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 always underlying things within a program design. And I just think it would be great if everybody knew that these things would be accounted for. Because sometimes I know, you know, even myself in the past, I would just think that programming was just putting stuff together and, and making it look cool or making a person really, really tired. But at the end of the day, the point of doing training and programming in the first place is to get better. So having solid principles uh, based and, and, and put into play behind every single program design is always going to be the best approach 100% of the time. So today, these are, these are, I guess some of them kind of twist and turn together and some of them do not, but I'm going to touch on different types of strength training, maximum physical potential for a, a specific person, something called the health continuum, which is, I'm, I'm really excited to share that. And then uh, what functional fitness really is. Okay. Because that's actually a really cool topic and one that I'm excited to talk about because, um, you know, I've owned a CrossFit gym for a long time, and this conversation has come up numerous times 
um, through like, you know, essentially people thinking they should do certain things because they want to do functional fitness, but really taking an idea or really taking the thought behind like what that means in the first place um, is, is something to consider. So we'll start our conversation based around that, the, the, the functional fitness. So CrossFit came along a long time ago and decided to take the word functional fitness and to make it into like a buzzword and something that they said, right? But within functional fitness, the, the whole spiel was, and this isn't wrong, this is what they thought was best at the right time at that time. The whole the what they essentially said was functional fitness is what they do, and they put in all these different things like rope climbs, handstands, handstand push-ups, muscle-ups, single leg squats, aka the pistol, and, and all of these high skill movements, and then dubbed them functional fitness. Right, but let, let's consider this one principle across the board when we look at like what that even means. Functional fitness, by definition, is a type of training that aids a person in their function. Right, so you can see how just grouping certain exercises and just calling them functional doesn't really hold merit because functional fitness is just something that's going to help a person to be better in their life. Right, so maybe for some people that is putting a barbell over their head, maybe if they have the requisite mobility and and uh, shoulder stability, right? Maybe putting something over their head is functional. Maybe doing things like sit-ups and pull-ups is functional. Maybe doing things like farmer carries is functional. But you will find that within that whole conversation, if the training just makes the person better in life, then it's functional fitness. So. Just grouping certain exercises or certain types of training, you know, like especially the intensity training and then just calling it functional fitness is is not really a thing because that's such a broad and like sweeping idea that we need to keep in mind that the principle behind that is that the training just needs to make a person better. Right. And and, and a good way to think about this. So I, I. I find myself coaching um, recently. A lot of my individual design clients that I've got have been, you know, busy moms, right? They've got young kids and toddlers. And the first thing that comes to mind when I start making a program for them is how can I make their life easier, right? Maybe because, you know, and to really think about that, that question of like, how can I make, especially like a, a busy mom, how do I make that, that mom have a better life? Well, the first thing I need to take into consideration to make them more functional is to start working on their stress. So a high-intensity workout, and, and when I say high-intensity, I mean 100% effort inside of a conditioning-style workout, um, a super high-intensity workout for somebody who is already stressed is just going to be another piece of stress. So even though that high-intensity workout is the, the thought behind it is you want to make a person more fit, you want to make a more per, uh, a person more healthy. Really, if I'm taking a stressful situation like a high intensity workout, and then I'm adding it to a woman or a person who is already stressed out, I'm not really aiding them in the function of their life. I'm actually making it worse, right? And then when we take that a step further and we look at the types of strength training that that person should do, I need to take into consideration what they do most of the time. I know if I take my wife into consideration, she always carries the baby nonstop everywhere we go. And before that, it was my young or my uh, my middle son. There was always some sort of carrying going on. So what happens when you carry something in the frontal plane of your body? 
Well, your posterior chain is gonna get very taxed. Your core is gonna be very, very tired. So if I'm gonna aid a woman, a busy mom, who's carrying around her kids all the way, all the time, if I'm gonna aid her in her function every single day, then I need to train her posterior chain all the time. I need to make sure she's doing a lot of hinging. I need to make sure she's doing a lot of core isometric work, a lot of holes, because I know that that is gonna help that person to be more functional in their everyday life. So the, the thing to really consider with that um, is that I have taken training that they were gonna do every single day, and then I have helped them to, and I've helped aid them in their function every single day. So uh, b b before I get too much in a rant of this whole conversation, the thing to remember is that functional fitness needs to aid a person in their everyday function. And, and with that concept, that concept solely, solely laid out on the table, really nothing within training is off the table. Everything is, is, is there to use as long as it helps a person to be better. Now, so moving on from there, I, I want to talk about maximum physical potential of a person. Now, the, the best way to think about this before we even get into it, maximum physical potential is essentially the story of fitness or a person's muscle contractions over time, right? And, and when I say something like a maximum, like a potential, some people may take this and they may take it as a negative and be like, wow, he's telling me that I can't be anything that I want to be and do anything I want to do. I'm not saying that because the reality of it is that most people don't have the mental fortitude to push to their maximum potential all the time. And those who do, um, we'll, uh, we'll get into that within this conversation also. But maximum physical potential is just this thought around from the minute you're born you know, through adolescence, into teenage years, you start training from that point where you first start training all the way through your life. That is what maximum physical potential is. You're trying to realize your maximum potential within training, right? It's the story of your muscle contractions over time. Now, the thing to remember is that everyone has a limit, right? Everybody has a certain level that they're going to be able to get to. And, and, I mean, you can take any supplement you want. You can do any sort of crazy training that you want. But the thing to remember is that you're going to reach your potential. You're going to reach your ceiling over time, right? And some people reach that sooner. Some people spend a lot of time trying to get to that. But when you reach your potential, and, and this is what I see happen a lot, especially within like the competitive CrossFit community, is that somebody will reach their, more than likely be at the ceiling or near their ceiling of their potential and then they'll go jump to another program and maybe they'll get a little bit better in one aspect and then they'll get injured and then they'll come back and then they'll jump to another program. And it's just this vicious cycle. But, you know, we, we, we fall victim of watching high level competitors or high level athletes. And we think that because they can do it, we can do it. And, and we, some of us can. Some of us can 100% reach our potential, and that potential just happened to be as high as the highest performing athletes out there. But there are also a big group of people that just need to be aware that when you reach your potential and you try to push past that, you're, you're, you're pushing yourself into places like overuse injury or things like adrenal fatigue or overuse injuries. Uh, I mean, the, the list goes on. And just realizing that everybody has a potential is just a, a, an important part of this maximum physical potential conversation. Now, the thing to remember within that too is that sometimes when people, and we'll, we'll go back to the, like, the program hopping conversation here for a second. When people come into training, we've all done it, your first you know, year to two years, you're just getting 
all kinds of crazy adaptations, man. Your, your, your strength is just through the roof. Your conditioning is getting so much better and it's happening really, really, really fast, right? It's something that is just off the charts. Now, what happens when you go from beginner athlete to intermediate? Your potential is still like your, your potential to, to move and to grow is still very, very high, but it just slows down a little bit. And then you're really fighting to get any sort of gains or any sort of um, increases in potential from there. But it doesn't mean that it stops. So if you think about this, a good way to explain this is if, you're, if we're, we're looking at a bell curve, right? Or we've got an XY axis type uh, diagram, right? The, the vertical side is going to be the, your potential and the uh, horizontal side is going to be like the time. Right, so if we start in the corner of those two lines when they meet, that that curve goes up very very fast as it goes out across time. Right, it's a very vertical curve, and then we start to level off a little bit at intermediate, and by the time we get to advanced, we're almost parallel to the timeline. Right, so you've reached your potential, and then the goal is to try to maintain that again, or to try to maintain that as long as possible. Because what happens as we get older that potential starts to go down a little bit. Like even if your training and your recovery factors are 100% um, in line, that potential is going to come down. And the, the goal and the way to try to stay, try to have as much vitality as possible is to keep your training in line and to keep training, right? But it's, an, it's important to remember that when you first start training, you're going to get a lot of really good results, right? Everything, you're going to adapt a lot. Everything's going to be great. You're going to be loving training. And then you're going to reach this intermediate phase and that slows down a little bit. And then once you make it to advance and things slow way down, the last thing you should try to do is to try to start program hopping and trying to look for secrets or the magic bullet because it's not out there. It's not a real thing. Your goal is to try to maintain that level of potential for as long as possible. And then you also have to remember, too, is that when you're a beginner, you recover a lot faster, right? And and, and a way that I've been explaining this recently is to think about it like a light bulb, right? Like when you first start training, that light bulb it's pretty small, right? It doesn't get very bright. It essentially just kind of lights up a little bit. Not a lot of uh, lumens being put off, I guess you could say. But as you reach to intermediate and you're able to light that light bulb up a little brighter and the, the light bulb's a little bit brighter, it's going to take a lot longer for that for that light to go back out again, right? So beginner, you recover pretty fast, unless you overdo it, of course. But you can recover pretty fast. You can train a little bit more frequently on specific body parts and stuff because overall overall speaking you're not lifting as much weight you're not being able to express power as much and then intermediate you're able to express power a lot more you're able to lift a little bit more so you're going to need a little bit more time to recover from that and then as an advanced athlete you're able to make that light bulb really bright you're really able to get after it and you're really able to push your body to its limits and then what happens as we get to an advanced athlete and i've seen this a lot within the crossfit community is once we reach advanced we actually think the opposite, that we need to recover less because we're more advanced. And that couldn't be further from the truth. So beginners have, can train a little bit more frequently, can get after it on certain body parts or certain movement patterns a little more frequently. Intermediates, looking to going to need a little bit more recovery time because you're able to express a lot more. And then as an advanced athlete, you got to make sure that you're taking your recovery seriously because you're really able to dig deep into your body and you're really able to dig deep into muscle contractions and your nervous system. So it's important to remember that as you get closer to the end of your potential uh, or to to your maximum potential, you're going to need to make sure that you adhere to enough recovery. So 
that maximum physical potential conversation is something I've really loved a lot recently. It's um, and, and I always have to make sure that I'm framing it correctly because I don't want to sit here and tell somebody like, you know, who am I to tell somebody they can or can't do something? I just want to make them aware of something that has been scientifically proven and something that they need to pay attention to because um, what often what often I see people ha- people do is they'll get very close to their potential. They've been training for several years and then they'll start program hopping. And really, you know, any the rate of increases, you know, are going to slow down a lot, no matter what program you're on, no matter who's coaching you. So um, reaching your maximum physical potential over time is the goal. Now, inside that, right, there's this thing called the health continuum. Okay, and this was really hard for me to grasp when I first started, okay, because the health continuum is something that was not explained to me well when I first got into training. So think of the health continuum as like the story of your life, right? Or the story of your training life um, outside of the maximum physical potential. Potential is like how hard or, or, or what level of training or what level of expression of training you can do. Whereas like the health continuum is how hard you're exercising, I guess you could say. So on one side is going to be like sick, you know, essentially like um, death or sick or being sick, etc. Right. And then we move a little bit further to the right, we get more into like health and fitness. Right. And ideally, health and fitness being right in the center of this line is a great place to be. And then as we push further to the right, if we were to thin that line out a little bit more, we get to elite fitness. Right. But just outside elite fitness and then pushing into, you know, competitive fitness and sport and stuff like that. Now we're out there in that sick range and then that um, back in the like lack of vitality range. Right. So on one side is health and wealth or on one side is sickness. The other side is actually sickness, too. And then the goal within that is to have balance within the health and fitness range. Right. Because if we take if we take something a sport and we take it to any, you know, edge of its possibilities, we we really start to go away from what is actually healthy for your body, right? I mean, there's known instances and I I know specifically like the the weightlifting community and the 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 CrossFit community and I'm starting to get a little bit into the like bodybuilding community, but it is widely known that a lot of these athletes are having some serious health issues as far as like adrenal fatigue some of the some of our some of the females are having like issues with their cycle or just uh, mental issues like there's so many negative things that come with taking a, a sport or anything like that so far to the the maximum potential of that so it's important to think about that because um like when i take on when i onboard a client and the first thing they tell me is they want to compete in a sport and they want to train like XYZ does. The first conversation I have them or the first thing that I say to them is like, look, we need to make sure that we know why we're doing this and then if it's worth it. Because the minute we step out of a general fitness style approach and we step into sport, we're starting to push the envelope. We are starting to move away from what fitness really is and pushing into the sport side. And if that athlete or that person is 100% okay with that, then let's go. Let's go after. Let's go get after it. Let's do this. Let's 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 push the envelope and let's see if we can get you there. But 
lot of people always mistake extra fitness or, you know, doing I had a conversation with somebody the other day about wanting to do more. If more isn't always better, some more often than not, doing more is actually worse, right? So I, I like to say this, like doing, doing more is not better. Doing better is better, right? So doing extra stuff isn't always going to mean that you're getting better or you're getting more fit or you're getting more strong. Just doing really quality strength training and conditioning is actually how you get better. So with the, with the, the health continuum in mind, when you push from fitness or health and longevity, and then you want to do more than that and get more fitness and get into elite fitness and sport, we're actually pushing closer and closer or pushing further and further away from the health and the longevity side. And we're pushing more into the sickness and injury and um, lack of vitality side. So, uh, and the way that I've actually seen that is that all the way to the right of the health and fitness thing is death. I think that's a little morbid and, and it could be a, you know, and I even said that in the beginning, like maybe I just think that's a little morbid way to look at it, but it, I just want people to know that when we step out of just being health and fit, healthy and fit, and we try to push the envelope on that, we're actually stepping away from um, healthy and fit and pushing more into the, the sickness side again. Now, we've talked maximum physical potential. I really set out to define what functional fitness is and what it should be thought of as. With those two concepts in mind, based around this whole principles of program design conversation, there's this thing called the strength continuum, right? Or um, different types of strength uh, expression. So the different types of strength, uh, strength expression are absolute strength, strength speed, speed strength, and absolute speed. So to, to give you, I guess, a little um, an explanation of what each one of those things out, uh, each one of those things are, absolute strength is, I, I like to think of that as like strict, slow, controlled muscle contractions, things like deadlifts, squats, the barbell squat, goblet squat, uh, lunges, push-ups, things that are strict and not very dynamic in nature. So anything, any sort of bodybuilding style accessory work and um, powerlifting, calisthenics, those types of things for the most part are all absolute strength, right? And then with absolute strength, we're trying to develop muscle endurance, right? Now the step above that um, is strength speed. So strength speed is things like the Olympic lifts, things like snatch, clean, jerk. That is speed or strength speed. Now it's called strength speed because you're taking you're, you're using your strength to generate power and speed, right? And you're lifting an object that is slightly lighter than like what you would lift typically for like a deadlift or something like that. And you're moving a little bit faster. Now, moving up a step ahead of that, we're looking at speed strength. So speed strength is taking something that is very light and then moving it really, really fast. So we're talking med ball slams, um, med ball throws against the wall, plyometric exercises. Those are expressions of speed strength because you're taking something that is very light and you're expressing power to the maximum. Now, a step above that is absolute speed. Absolute speed, I bet my best way of explaining what that really is, is sprinting as fast as you can for a short period of time, right? Because we all know that power is going to drop off and we're not going to be able to sprint very far or very fast for long. But Sprinting with the most amount of effort that you can possibly give is an expression of absolute speed. Now, the reason why I explain them like that is because 
they actually should be expressed in stages, right? So when you first start training, you're at that beginning of the health continuum and your maximum physical potential and you're starting to move forward. See how these things intermingle and interlace? When you're at the beginning of your journey through fitness or through muscle contractions, the first place that everybody, every single person should start is going to be absolute strength. And then like 90% of people in training should stay there. And I actually got this wrong when I first started programming and first started running a gym. The first thing I did when people came into my gym, and I hate myself for it now, is I taught them Olympic lifting, right? That was one of the first things I ever did. I taught them an air squat. A couple weeks, a couple days later, I taught them things, dynamic movements like push jerk, snatch, and clean and jerk, right? And, and it's such a crazy concept because the the... The question is, is like, can everybody do snatch and clean and jerk? Absolutely. They sure can. But should everybody and does everybody express the muscle contraction needed to get the full benefit of those two things to, to, to do the strength speed movements? Probably not. Right. So most people need to stay at absolute strength because it's important to build that up before we start to do to move into other forms of expression. Right. Because we can't express those things to their full potential to receive the benefits unless we have built a base layer of strength. And a good way to think about this, guys, is that um, if you think of like a, a person that can't yet back squat, I'm just throwing um, examples out there. This isn't exact something that I stick to or use, but just to, to understand the concept, can a person who can like and actually, it, I'll explain a story. So I was going through with a female client probably, I don't know, maybe four years ago or something like that. And um, I put her on uh, a flywheel bike, right, an assault bike. And I was like, all right, you're going to do a 20-second sprint as fast as you can. And then you're going to rest three minutes because you're going to be so wiped, right? I tried to have her express absolute speed without getting her strength level up. So this woman gets on the bike, starts cruising really, really hard, and uh, gets off after 20 seconds, completely fine. Has no idea why I have her resting for three minutes, right? But here's the deal. She wasn't able to express absolute speed enough to dig into her, um, to dig into her central nervous system to get tired or to dig into her engine to get tired. She couldn't go fast enough. She couldn't propel that bike fast enough because she wasn't strong enough to turn the wheel fast enough to get tired, right? So when I say something like we got to get powerful first or we got to get strong and powerful first before we express certain things is because that training modality or that training uh, methodology, methodology that I tried to use with this client got no benefits from it. And I ended up having to pivot and change her training there. But when we, when, when we learn these principles about getting a person strong first, it, it pretty much null and voids the conversation of like why any person should lift. Any person should lift because they want to be strong and, and have a good level of vitality and live a long life and have strong connective tissue and muscles and bones and the whole thing. But if you're in a specific type of training and, and especially something like CrossFit, it's important that you get strong first, which is why in all of my programs, there's not a one single program. All of my clients get programs with these principles inside of it because I know that I want to deliver them to their maximum physical potential and I want to keep them as vital. I want them to have as 
um, as much of a vitality-filled life as possible. And the only way that I'm going to do that is if I stick to these principles. So in my gym, doing group programming, something that I'm working on with all my coaches who do the programming in the gym, is look, we got to get our clients strong. That conversation has to be in the forefront of everything we do because if we get a client strong, then they can express the muscle contractions that they need to and they can start to benefit from all these other amazing types of training uh, within you know the, the type of training that we do. So um, again, just some takeaways from that is that um, things like do, doing absolute strength movements most of your time, it's going to be amazing. And then at the end of the day, if you just want to be uh, healthy and fit, um, working on absolute strength for most of your training is going to be a good way to go about it. And and a little backstory on this, this was actually a hard concept for me to understand until I started using it with my clients and, and, and using it for years now. But um, the only reason I, I was unsure of this is because like when I came into like doing CrossFit and stuff like that, I started with snatch and clean and jerk and you know, sprinting and doing slam balls and all these different forms of expression, right? But the the thing that I never paid attention to is all that stuff that I made fun of, the the bodybuilding with the 30 minutes of cardio every day and et cetera, I was doing all of the absolute strength work then so that when I did get to CrossFit, I could express the strength that I needed to do to get the benefits from these different types of, uh, these different types of training. So for most people, when they come into any sort of training modality or especially if you're on one of my programs, you're going to get strength training and it's going to be a high majority of what you do because I know that if I can get you strong enough, we can use all these different types of strength training and I can get you the maximum benefit of the different types of conditioning. And this is, again, this is going to, this is a, just a first part series of the uh, several different uh, parts that I'm going to go into around principles of program design. So I uh, hope you guys got something out of this today. Uh, this was um, this has been a long time in the making. I've actually got this mapped out in the different pieces that I want to go over. But I really wanted to start lining up and helping people to really understand what are some things within uh, program design. Because um, I, I was talking with a client recently who's getting ready to start with me. And they essentially was just telling me what, obviously, I've got a whole intake process and I'm asking this per- this client, like, you know, what her past training program looked like, this, that, and the other. And I was really let down by what's out there. So, I, I you know, I'm pretty much going to make sure um, one day in some way, shape, or form, if you guys continue to listen and, and help me to grow this thing, I am uh, I want to put every bad coach out of business, right? Everybody that's making these garbage programs or not adhering to proven, scientifically proven principles and just doing and, and making a name for themselves because they helped a genetic freak get to a certain level or look a certain way, um, I'm, 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 I'm going to shut that down and I'm going to make a name for myself by doing it. So um, principles of program design, this is just part one. I'm going to go into a sev- uh, to several more parts. I don't even know how many it's going to be. It could be 10. Who knows? But I'm going to go into several more parts. There's going to be another one released next week. Um, I hope you guys got something out of this and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you next week. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show today. I hope you got some value and some tools to take away to create yourself and create a life and engineer it to what you can be proud of. Now, do me a favor, podcasts live, breathe, and die 
off of ratings and reviews on iTunes. So do me a favor before you go, head on over to iTunes, give me a five-star rating and review, tell us something that you love about the podcast, talk about guests that you want to have on. In general, we just want to get some feedback and know how this podcast is going and if it's helping people. Now, thank you, and we look forward to talking to you next time.